It's time for building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. Tabletop game design with Jason Hello and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary podcast. Today is Monday, February 14th. It's Valentine's Day. That's exciting, uh, I guess. And uh, it is episode 507. As always, I'm your host, Jason. Here today, joined by one of our regular hosts, Raven McKenzie. Hello, Raven. Hey. And also, super special guest, we have Emma Larkins, designer of Abandoned All Artichokes and other things here. How you doing, Emma? Pretty good. Thanks so much for having me. We're super excited to have you. Um, mm-hmm. I have to say that, uh, so I, I mentioned this to you when I had first reached out to you that my family like really loves paying abandoned all artichokes. Like I don't, I don't just say that to all the guests. I do actually. I say my family loves paying abandoned all artichokes. I don't know what you designed, but we like that game. Um, nice. So when I told my kids that I w- was going to have you on the show, they were both, they're uh, 10 and seven and they were stoked um because okay. yeah and then my daughter made me promise that i would tell you uh that she uh wanted to dye her hair some sort of color she's seven she wanted to dye her hair some bright color uh and i still always ask me when we're playing game who designed this dad do you know this person so i pulled up a picture of you and she said i want pink hair like that oh my god and she got pink hair like that and she made me oh, promise wow. that i would tell you that <laughs> while we were Love recording that. thank you thank so, you so yes. much that, that that fills my heart. <laughs> yeah. Inspiring children to yes. dye their hair. Uh, to play games and dye hair. Absolutely. She's gotten many compliments on the pink hair. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. I actually love when kids see it because uh, just especially at a certain age, their eyes light up and I can see the mental math in their mm-hmm. brain like, was she born that way? Is that an option? Could I have pink hair? And they had never thought about it before. So just thinking to their parents, like, okay, the questions, questions yes. are going to come. Yes. Yes. And we were, when she asked us if she could dye her hair, we're like, I don't see why not. I mean, it's your hair. Go for it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, so yeah, so we are, we're really excited to have you here. Um, so you've been, have you been keeping busy with game stuff in the last times of the pandemic and everything <laughs> in these different times in the last unit of time which shall not shall I remain nameless anymore i just say that now what is time yeah exactly we're talking before the show about like we saw each other two weeks ago question just mark? time <laughs> question mark <laughs> time time has no meaning uh yeah actually i one of the things I've talked about uh, a lot uh, in the the shows that I've been doing and different interviews and stuff is a little bit of pulling back from some of my media stuff, not all of it, uh, in order to focus more on board game design. And Mm -hmm. I have been able to do that. And I'm working on some things that I'm very excited about, have a lot of great contacts with great people. So yeah, it's a good time for board game design. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I I know Raven and I have talked about this before, too, where like you kind of go through these phases during these times that we've had here where it's mm-hmm. like you don't do anything. And then other times you're like just like mega inspired all of a sudden, like I'm going to do like so much stuff. And um, I always credit the podcast with keeping me accountable towards doing a lot more than I ever would if it wasn't for that. Uh, because, you know, when you have podcasts to do, you know, it keeps me in game design. I have to talk about it. Uh, 
and you know it keeps me wanting to work on stuff and our our, our podcast out of these weekly accountability meetups which the, i'm sure the listeners are tired of hearing me talk about where every week we meet for 30 minutes and we chat about what's everybody working on and it's just it's been really good at keeping me accountable and and i believe a lot of other people we've got a good group of people that shows up every week so that's been it's been a lot of fun and you got to find the ways, right, to keep yourself moving forward when it's when everything kind of feels stagnant. And, right, it's and like a moving. tricky balance for sure between being engaged uh, in the community and whether it's a group or a Discord channel or with a mentor, um, but then also finding the time to actually sit down and work on the actual games <laughs> that you're trying to put out into the world. But in chair time, <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, it is super important for listeners to hear that too, you know, that if anyone is working on things and struggling with things or doesn't work on their game for a week or a month or a year, like that's totally fine and it happens mm-hmm. to everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's okay to put stuff down for a while, right? I mean, to put a game down and to come back to it later. I mean, I always make the argument that, you know, if a game gets too difficult and it's not fun working on that game anymore, if you don't have to work on it, don't. <laughs> <laughs> Come back to it later with fresh eyes, with likely more experience. You're probably a better designer when you come back to it anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's it's completely worthwhile to do that. Yeah, people can get caught up in the completionism of it and forget yes. the fact that they're doing this out of their own volition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, right. Doing this because they want to, you know? I mean, yeah. there are so many careers like where people would, you know, I, I, I mean, like, we do like as game designers and I've mentioned this before, but it's just, it's always, I always like to bring it back up again. We do so much work that is just purely on spec that mm-hmm. there's a decent chance. It will never make you money. It will never see the light of day beyond some play tests. Maybe not even that. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, you can't do that without having a passion for it because if you don't like, what's the point, right? I mean, you're not going to get like rich and famous, right? Like, like, especially not outside of our community. Right? right. You might get well known in our community, but it takes it's, it takes a lot to get beyond that. Right. And mm-hmm. um, so you, you have to do it because you're passionate about it. And so, yeah, that's something I like to, to, to preach about on my soapbox as much as possible. <laughs> as, you know, if you're not passionate about it, don't do it. Because, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So talking about, uh, you know, in talking about putting game designs down actually was that idea. You did a panel about that and that inspired you for an idea for a topic uh, that's related to that, but not the same thing. Uh, So yeah, I'll let you uh, tell us what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. So a few weeks ago, question mark. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I did a panel with uh, other game designers, Ashwin, Connor, and Emily. We did it for NunPub. Uh, idea was Connor's, so I can't take credit for that. Know When to Fold Them, also Mm -hmm. amazing title. (laughs) We were talking about when and how you might decide to stop working on ideas for some time, for all time, put them aside, maybe come back to them. And it gave me the idea for this topic, which is different types of failure Mm -hmm. in board games. I went back and forth on using the word failure because it's a very <laughs> visceral, evocative word. Yeah, and yeah. when I 
say it to people, often they'll push back and say, well, it's not a failure. You know, it's not it's failure. You know, failure is bad. Failure is awful. Like <laughs> nobody wants to fail, you know, uh, but I think I'm going to use it now because I, I would, I want people to become more comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And when I say failure, it's not like the bridge is out. <laughs> it's not like the bridge has <laughs> failed, you know, like a terminal failure. It's just some, it could be as, as easy, as simple as something not going according to plan or not meeting mm-hmm. your expectations. Um, and again, if you want to think of it as a <laughs> opportunity, as Raven said, or as a, a roadblock or a hitch in the plans, you can think of it, replace the word as needed. Um, <laughs> and I have kind of a breakdown throughout the process of everything from ideating to getting a game published. And mm-hmm. I was thinking about mm-hmm. going through it in that manner and just kind of bumping along through and we can chat about what that means. Sounds, sounds awesome. Yeah. No, it's a good list of questions. So yeah. So the, the first thing you've got here is, um, uh, suddenly I forgot how to read. I don't know. What to say. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, the, the first thing you've got here, which I love this is when you're excited about an idea, but it doesn't come across in your first prototype. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of us are, uh, are have one spin and may again be armchair designers. You know, I don't know about you all, but many and many a conversation with designers and others is, oh, this could be a game. What if this was a game? Sometimes you go a little deeper into it. You start taking notes. It starts coming together in your brain. And often, at least for me, that will come along with a feeling of excitement and kind of, wow, if I figured this out and it worked this is what it would feel like to play it. So kind of Mm -hmm. jumping the gun a little to the point where you're like, I can totally see. And you might even start to see how pieces fit together. Oh, this, and it might be cards, you know, maybe dice. And this Mm -hmm. is a cool mechanic that can work Mm -hmm. with that. Uh, And it's all coming together in your head. And you might even start to write up some cards. uh, Takes a, like start even start to write the rules. And there's a couple of potential failures there. Like first failure is you can't quite put it together even enough to get it to the table. And that can be very frustrating. Mm -hmm. The other one is you get it to the point where it's on the table and you have it in front of people. So that's already gotten through a few steps and it just breaks, you know? Yeah. Very first play test in your head, (laughs) you know how it's supposed to work, but on the table, (laughs) <laughs> when it comes in contact with the minds of other people who aren't in your brain, right? Mm-hmm. Just uh, either it's it's too complicated, you know, and people are lost, or it could even be very simple, and they just don't know why. It's like, oh, well, why do I care about mushrooms? It's like, well, mushrooms is the core currency that drives the right. whole engine. <laughs> it's like, yeah, but mushrooms aren't points. You're like, ah, you don't. <laughs> but it's over here. It's like, look over here at this great right. fireworks show going up over and, right. and people are focused on the sandwich, you know? And right. It, it's yeah. funny. I, I, I made the joke before that there is no greater distance in, in anything than the top of the mountain that you are standing on when you 
have designed the game and are ready for the first play test and the valley uh, of how spectacularly bad that first play test went. It literally <laughs> like sometimes is like, I'm going to win the spiel and I'm going to stop designing. <laughs> like, yes. it's, it's so it's such a huge difference. Such Absolutely. Huge difference. Yeah. Uh, it's it's good to hear other designers say that. Go ahead. Right. Sorry, Raven. No, I was going to say, I'll never forget the fir- first play test I ever did. And it was literally one of those, like, now comparatively to other play tests, I'm like, oh, it went fine. It's a play test. It gave you feedback and information. But that first time I was like, I don't know if this is for me. Like, I don't know if sitting here for it. We went, we were in feedback for a long time. What felt like at least an hour and a half, but was definitely no more than maybe a half hour, 45 minutes of, of feedback. But it was definitely, I had to take a good week, week and a half away from it before I went back to it. And I think for anyone's first play test, or even if it's not your first play test, if you need to take some time after a, a particularly, whether it's subjectively or objectively a harsh, you know, critique, do what you have to do and then, you know, look at it again, see if it's worth moving forward or if it's time to potentially put it down. But those can definitely be difficult uh, for sure. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, Emma, what you said about um, that when you, when you design the game and you're thinking there's this feeling I'm going to get, like when I, when I play this game, I'm going to have this feeling and that's what it's going to, it's going to, you know, and, that is such a great description of like the thing that's hard to put into words about game design. When you have that idea and you think this is what it's going to like, you just picture the whole thing in your head, right? How it plays Mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. And then, and then that, that I don't know that I've ever had that happen where it actually plays out exactly like you thought it would. I've had a couple times where it was close and you're like, Oh my gosh. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. But so, so yeah, that just really speaks to me that, um, that idea. Yeah, well, there's a lot of ego wrapped up in it. And it's fascinating how it ties back into psychology and things like you don't know what you don't know and you are inside your brain and not an observer. And there's just so uh, confirmation bias. You know, there's so much. Your brain wants you to think that you're right in things. It wants you to believe that you are good and smart and capable and that moment of putting something communicating through such a tough medium i mean think how hard it is to communicate through words and talking most of the time mm-hmm. we're trying to communicate an experience <laughs> through numbers and paper you know we're just making it really hard for ourselves and to think that you, you've landed on it and to have that kind of tugged away in real time, in person, you know, there's a potential embarrassment and shame aspect to it as well. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it can be a very visceral experience and it is a failure, a failure to communicate and it can feel like a failure, uh, but it's essential to game design. No designer Mm -hmm. has ever made and published a game without that experience. Yeah. Very true. And people need to remember that (laughs) because sometimes it feels like I, I, so many times when I play an amazing game, my first thought is always like, it used to be like, wow, this is an amazing game. But now as a designer, it's like, I wonder what this looked like at first. (laughs) Like, I bet it wasn't even close to this good, (laughs) you know? And and you wonder how many people went 
like how many people helped, how many people developed, how many people gave good feedback during playtesting to get the game to where it ended up being. Yeah. Unless it's code names, which apparently took Vlada like 30 minutes to design. So. Oh <laughs> See, I believe with code names though, right? I mean, like it's a great game, but there's not much to it, right? I mean, like, yeah, it's pretty simple. It's about as simple as you can get. Like it's, it, it, they, they hit that spot where it's like perfectly simple but just enough to like make you want to play it again, you know? So yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. And that, that, that comes from being an incredibly experienced designer with right. years of experience or for a new designer, you may land on something um, that works through other life experiences. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's uh, definitely not the norm Agreed. to put something out and immediately have it click with people. Right. Right. All about expectation setting, I think. That that can yeah. help you be more prepared for the inevitable, whether it's failure in the playtesting realm or failure later on in the process. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely being aware of what could happen and what's the typical experience can help you kind of when you're internalizing that. It's like, you know, this is a common experience amongst designers or whatnot. This is going to happen and you just work through it and, and move forward. Yeah. And, and with that too, there's even subtleties, uh, su- subtle flavors within the failure. You know, maybe it does function mechanically or it's just not fun. Or maybe mm-hmm. people are having a blast, but they're just kind of throwing erasers at each other or running around the room or something. You know, it's not what you expected. It's not exactly something you can package. People are making things up on the fly. You know, there's, Yeah. You open that yeah. box of worms, you, you the can of worms, you never know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Well, let's uh let's talk about the the next thing you have on your list here because I think it's it's a nice uh transition to that of when you're excited to when you make a change and you're excited that it's going to fix a problem and then it it doesn't. Yeah. So this I would say is the one that resonates with me the most. Um, Again, I said that all about experiencing first time playtest failure, but I'm either lucky or experienced enough that uh, that happens to me less frequently these days. But this one of this, the cycle of playtesting the game, thinking about a potential fix to it, putting that fix into the game, testing again and realizing that didn't do what you wanted it to do mm-hmm. is a huge part of game design. You might call it more development, but something that I've spent many, many months on um, artichokes. It was a big thing. It almost became a joke in my group because <laughs> I would say for two is like, I got it just kind of kick back in my chair. You know, this is last time we had some issues, but this time, and this was three months into de- development. The game took two years to make. So this is like super early on. It's like, I got this, nailed it. You know, we're, we're there. And then it would just, it would be like worse than the previous play test, you know, uh, or I would completely gutted a system and, and maybe depending on how you develop um, or if you have a particular the way your mind works, if you're good with like figuring things out in your head before they get down on paper, it's less of a shock. But for me and the way that I design, 
I think that I know what's going to happen. But again, when you get it down in front of people, it can just go wildly off the rails. Um, mm -hmm. I have another game that I'm working on right now that's about constellations and stars. A very tight, mechanically very simple game, not a lot of levers to play with. And I was just trying to balance the score for it wasn't months because the development cycle was very, very tight, but just, I would like every day, one day I tested it five times. I would like change something and test it and change something and test it. Mm -hmm. Just trying to get the math of not having a runaway leader problem. And I must've mm -hmm. gone through 10 or 12 iterations where I'm like, I fixed the runaway leader problem. And then someone would play it and just double the next person's score. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think one of the things that's so frustrating to me about that, the problem of it not working is, you know, it can be so hard to see what's, okay, this is what appears to be wrong, right? Mm -hmm. And then and then we try to fix it, but so many times I feel like we're not actually fixing, fixing the actual problem, right? Like mm -hmm. we're saying, well, this is happening, so let's try this to try and, you know, fix this from happening, and then it, and then it's, yeah, it's the wrong thing. Um, but it can be so hard to try and finally land on the right thing, and and so, yeah, that feeling of like, I got this, like I did this, this fixes it, done. And then you're like, oh, what happened? I, there was a game I was co-designing uh, with uh, Neil Roberts and Kelly Hoagland. And we we did like a game retreat weekend where we're together uh, playing the game all weekend and designing it. And it went great. And then we got back and we said, this game is, is nearly done. Um, we feel really mm -hmm. good about it. Great. Uh, and then we... We put it in front of some other play testers and they just destroyed it, just destroyed it um, in a good way, like in a super positive way of like, this is, this is, this has got legs, but these are problems. And, and, you know, the problems where we don't care, you know, it's like the whole mushroom thing. You're doing. It's like, we don't care about this. Don't make me do this. And I was mm -hmm. like, well, I need you to do this because this is literally the core of the game. So, <laughs> you know, so, so clearly something's not coming through and, mm -hmm. you know, and then we said, okay, let's tweak this. So we tweak it and we show it to somebody else and it, and it went way worse. And that <laughs> feeling is like, oh no. And then we realized we're fixing the wrong problem. What, what we had was a communication issue, right? Like, like the rule, the rules and these goals you were trying to achieve were actually fine, but nobody understood them. So mm. we gave them some nice iconography. We re we rebranded kind of them to get them out in front of people correctly. And the next play test went great because people were like, Oh, I get this now. Like now I care about this because it makes more sense. And, um, and we certainly, it wasn't just like, it was, it was fine. And we had to tweak this the way that we were showing it to people. Um, there were other issues, but I mean, the biggest issue that we were trying to fix wasn't actually broken. It just was being poorly communicated. And so, so I think that's kind of another side of that coin of like, we're trying to solve problems that don't exist instead of solving the problems that do exist. And yeah, right. that's, that sucks because you spend a lot of time, you know, going through those play tests to realize, and there's, I had another play test recently with, uh, with an RPG game where we made some major tweaks to the game, tried it. And like, you get that moment where like five minutes into the play test, you're like, this is not going to work. Like we thought it was going to work and no one realizes it yet, but myself and the co-designer are like, we, we realize what's happening. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, you know, we went through what we could and then we had a really good discussion of it. Um, but it was a humbling experience because we actually took the game from being really good to not good 
and then had to back out all the changes and and we've since got it back to where it needed to be but it yeah it's it's a humbling feeling when you're like wow we broke a game that was good like, we made this game not fun anymore <laughs> yeah know, that's like that's a challenge when you have a fun game and you're like we're just gonna take the fun right out <laughs> so um, yeah yeah the go ahead raven <laughs> As I say, it's whether you're you're changing some of that uh, an existing mechanic, or it, particularly if you're adding. Uh, I think a lot of designers sometimes we add things in. We try not to add too many things in, but sometimes the game just feels like it's missing something, and so you want to add in this one more thing that you think will make it complete. But then by adding in that one thing, depending on the experience, it could be that no one even touches that one thing that you just spent all that time adding in, which is something that happened in a recent playtest of mine. Uh, and then it's like, okay, is this thing actually not needed? Is the game fine on its own? Or is the way that I added it in not clear enough for players that I need to rework the new edition? And so I, I think it definitely the constant iteration and playtesting is important to actually hone in on exactly what is the pain point. Uh, but still, there's always so many questions of, is, did I find the, <laughs> the magical piece, the, the missing link, or am I messing around with something that really doesn't need to be messed around with anymore or is, is going to make this worse, um, for sure. That's a, a hard thing to hone in on. Yeah. The, I think the thing that we forget sometimes is a board game is an incredibly intricate web of interconnecting systems mm -hmm. and it's not just mechanics it's the ui the the graphics the mm -hmm. art the uh lived experiences of the people what they're bringing to the game completely outside of um <laughs> what you've put into or what you think that you've put into the game mm -hmm. and then just coming down to the, the mechanics of the the math and the balances i'm picturing like a 50-way teeter-totter here so everything or like a, i guess it would be a disc <laughs> at that point but every time you kind of like push down on one side you know another side of the the disc comes up and you're trying to stabilize it but exactly like that you know like you push on one thing and another thing moves shifts everything is so tightly woven that uh raven exactly like you're saying you, you can't really surgically pull out or put in pieces there's these repercussions and it's really hard to see how those play out without tons of play testing honestly. right without playing them out right literally <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is a fantastic water bottle you have there emma by the oh, way thank you <laughs> it's a nice unicorn water bottle Something else my daughter would be jealous of. So. <laughs> it is pretty great. Yeah. So do we want to do we want to talk about the next step when you've got a game and you feel like the game is ready, uh, and then you're told differently by the publisher who rejects it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, <boy>. Yeah. <laughs> and and again the the word failure here. So you've made a change. You thought it was going to make the game funner. It made the game worse is kind of objective, but made it less fun or less balanced or it didn't do what you wanted it to do. So you had a goal to make this 
fun, again, objective, but to have this sort of player experience or to have this sort of score at the end of it, whatever your goal is. And you did some things to try and achieve your goal and they didn't work. So you did fail in achieving that goal. Uh, and I think sometimes it helps to like witness that whole process, you know, just say like, I had a goal and I reached for it and it didn't get there. But in doing so, I learned something mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. got a little bit closer. And that's exactly what it is if you do get to the point where you're pitching games to publishers. You know, you have a goal. You want your game to get in front of more people, uh, maybe make money on it, or you want to become known for making games. There's a lot of different goals you can have if you want to have games published. Um, and if you put it in front of someone who is an arbiter <laughs> of <laughs> the person who can enable or not enable that goal... Right. Um, it can be tough, you know, when, when you put your hopes on that and it doesn't work out. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I, uh, this, this was very, uh, a very fitting time for me because I actually had a meeting set up uh, earlier this week, uh, right before we recorded, like the day before we recorded this, where I, uh, had a chance to show five game concepts to a publisher. Uh, and so I showed five game concepts and they rejected all of them. Um, and that's like, and I, it's funny because like, it was with a mass market company. So like that's, you know, uh, um, for the listeners, if you haven't pitched with them, a lot of times it can be like, show us these concepts for these different games. And, mm -hmm. and I did that. And, um, and they were, it was, it was a great experience. They were like, Hey, like some of these games would fit in a line if we did this, this, or this, but right now we're not doing that. So like we have to pass on all of these. Um, but it created like this major inroad into, um, you know, kind of being able to have more communications. Mm -hmm. Um, and it will, you know, and I left that meeting, like where like, normally you leave a pitch meeting, you're like, oh, like, and that's like for a game. Right. And this was five, five games that I felt good about five games that we're, we will continue pitching to other, uh, different publishers. Um, and it just felt like I was, I was fine. I was happy when I left because I realized that even though, like it was a you know failure of for what I what I hoped would happen right, mm -hmm. um, it was still a great experience and there were mm -hmm. so many positives. I mean, because I got all the concepts together, I now have awesome videos and documents to give to a bunch of other publishers separately for those games that would have taken me months to do <laughs> if I was not motivated by that deadline of that pitch, right? Um, so. So for me, this one hits really, really close. This is probably the one that hits the most close to home just because it just happened this week. Um, and that's okay. Like, uh, you know, I I was very glad for the opportunity and I, and I was able to share with our design community for the podcast uh, in our Discord all about, here's what happened. Here's why it was good. Here's what we can learn from this, you know. Um, and and I just love, I love being able to share that with others too because I think it's a valuable lesson. Um, cause I, when I first started, when, when a, every time a pitch got rejected, which was a lot, right. Um, especially in the beginning, like you get a lot of rejections and it was, it was always so disheartening. And after a while, you just kind of have to realize that's part of it. You know, mm -hmm. that's my thoughts on that. Yeah. That's, I, I like Jason, how you bring up the, the silver lining aspect of it, where, you know, you have all those uh, materials now, those videos, which, Props to anyone who makes videos uh, showcasing their board games. Those are, are not easy to do, whether you're doing them for a physical game or a digital game. Um, and so having all that now, uh, like you said, you're prepared to go pitch it to all the other publishers you'll be pitching it to. 
Um, I still haven't done an in-person official pitch uh, or like a, an actual virtual pitch one-on-one with a publisher, but I, I was able to do a couple of kind of speed pitch, practice pitch kind of events. Um, and so even going into that with the knowledge that like, okay, this is a, a practice pitch, nothing's going to get signed. This is just talking to publishers and getting their feedback. Um, but going through that, there was still the feedback that I got, the people that I met, I mean, not every interaction was like, oh, I felt really good about this. There were a couple that was like, this game is not for me. And I'm like, okay, should I still pitch anyway? Or what would you like for us to do in these next five minutes? (laughs) Exactly. So those were in the premise of going in to pitch a game and that pitch didn't happen. Yes, those particular ones failed, but being able to speak to the other publishers who were, some of them were interested, even if, you know, this doesn't fit our line right now, but maybe in the future, or like, hey, it's just nice to get to know you. And then again, the materials piece. So having a slide deck, being able to show someone my game virtually, uh, having a sell sheet put together, and now having a format for, uh, or at least tools to use to make sell sheets in the future, is something that's definitely um, a great takeaway, regardless of the fact that, no, I didn't actually, you know, my game wasn't published from, doing that event, but that wasn't the goal. Anyway, at least I was able to speak to publishers and have a go at it, even if it was in a a practice type element. So if anyone has the opportunity to do, whether it's a a real pitch or a practice pitch, always treat it as a real pitch because it it could be, you you never know. Um, But yeah, definitely go for it um, if you can, because don't just get so much stuff out of it, even if your game ultimately doesn't actually get picked up by that particular publisher. Mm-hmm. Speed pitching is a gauntlet, by the way. So <laughs> props to you for doing that. Oh my gosh, my heart. Yeah. It was a long hour and a half. <laughs> oh god! Oh my gosh. <laughs> I have not done that yet. That is, yeah, a gauntlet, a challenge. Uh, yeah, and, and like you said, nothing is lost. Absolutely mm-hmm. nothing is lost. It might sound trite to say it's all part of the learning process, but it really is. And game design is a craft. People spend their entire lives on it. And that's every little piece you do fits together into your education. uh, And whether or not you end up getting a game published, it's still there. You know, it, it makes you a smarter and better person you learn so much that you can apply to all different areas of your life Uh, and one of the interesting things about pitching failure as opposed to some of those other types of failure is more of an internal external thing so for when you're making your game and trying to fix your game a lot of times it's you or maybe you and a co-designer going back and forth and trying to you have control right? You you can change the levers. You might not feel like you have control because you don't know what to do, but ultimately you have the power over what you're working on. When you're working with talking to a pitcher, uh, to a publisher, you don't have control. You know, there's factors like just the the mass market thing, you know, Mm -hmm. the mass market publishers go through many pitches. And, And I found for mass market versus more hobbyist publishers is Hobbyist publishers are kind of sometimes looking for an inspiration. And if you're Mm -hmm. kind of like the person they want and you just like, they like how your brain works, they'll kind of work with you a little bit more. Whereas mass market will just, they have a very clear product, vision, age range, 
IP that they mm-hmm. want to do. And they don't always tell you all that up front. So you could literally just be <laughs> pitching into the void, you know? Yep. Um, but yeah, the feeling can be different there for, uh, and depending what kind of person you are, the internal, like, I, I failed at this thing that I was working on versus more, I, I failed to get this thing across, but it's really in the other person, what they want and what they're looking for. Right. But also your your face to face with a person who has power over, you know, uh, and that the ego can really get wrapped up in there. So it can feel very different. In, in that person too, that you're sitting across from or virtually or whatever, that can really have an influence on how it goes too, right? I mean, because like you said, the, the person has power over what's going to happen to you, right? With this, mm-hmm. with this thing. And, um, and I, I'm sure, I, I know from my experience that I've pitched to some awesome people. This person I pitched to this week was amazing. Like would like felt totally great about pitching to them, would love to do it again. Uh, but there are some other people I pitched to where I was like, I'm never going to go to this company again because this person's <laughs> kind of a jerk. Um, and I don't want to, because I mean, you know, you're like, I don't want to work with this person. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, just like Emma, you were saying, you know, some small publishers might be looking for that inspiration of like, Oh, I really like Raven. I want to work with Raven on this yeah. game. You mm-hmm. know, I want to develop something with Raven. Um, but Raven might be like, I don't like this publisher. Like I don't want to work with this person <laughs> because you're going to, you're, you very well, especially with a hobby publisher, you very well may spend a lot of time with them mm-hmm. through the course of development, <laughs> yeah. especially if they don't hire developers. If it's just you and them, even if it's you and a co-designer and them, make sure you want to work with that person. That's <laughs> oh, important. Yeah. yeah, for sure. The, gosh, I don't know if y'all want to do, do stories, but um, sure, go for it. Yeah. Not to name names or anything, right. but I did have one where uh, I, I pitched the game. Uh, there's two people there as real-time game and so some of y'all might know where this is going but they they kind of they looked at it i think we played a round or two uh they said real time's a tough sell and one of them said to the other one's like i'm gonna go to the bathroom do you need to go to the bathroom they're like yeah and they they left oh wow what yeah (laughs) what (laughs) yeah that is uh... like those. The, what? <laughs> I know what kind of response. <laughs> what? <laughs> exactly, and that's like, uh, and and I kind of knew with the person in charge of this this company, so I, I think it was a little. I and, and it's funny, and now saying this story, I'm like, wow, maybe that was even, like, I I didn't take it that that hard, really. So um, I'm like. Oh, maybe I didn't even like interpret this the right way, but it, but it was like again they see so many games people go through so and sometimes they're they're like especially at a convention like I will say this like the they have back to back meetings so they might have been mm-hmm. sitting there for like four hours or or whatever, um, but yeah right. you can get some interesting experiences. But I mean, still like there's <laughs> there's a tactful way to deal with people, right? Right? Yes. I mean. Hey, real time's a tough sell. I'm sorry, this looks cool, but it's not for us. Like, now I'm gonna go to the bathroom. Right? I yes, mean, then still great, but better than like. <laughs> I think we're just gonna we're just gonna bail on you. Yeah. You could have just stayed at the table. Was it their booth? Just stay there. Be like, I'm yeah. just gonna wait until they come back. Like, I'm just gonna sit here until they come back. Yeah. They will deal with me. I, I wasn't sure. I was like, oh, is that are, are we done here? I guess the I guess I'm just gonna gonna go. <laughs> wow. 
Yeah, that is so disrespectful Man. and awful. I mean, I, yeah, yeah. Though that's 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 bad. I've not but, had that happen. Yeah, <laughs> I've had some awful people, but I've not had that happen. I think you're you're dealing with different people, and again, like you don't know what's going on for like, again for the people. Like people won't eat for hours at a time. People mm-hmm, mm-hmm. again will need to go to the bathroom right, or something. Right, and right, I think. Right. Even in that sort of a situation, just to be like understanding of people's humanity and kind right. of, and, and I think for the, the publishers too, like that's a hard position to be in. And I don't think everyone comes to it with experiences or the realization right. that they're going to sit down and reject a hundred people today. You know, I've talked to right. publishers before who people have started crying in the middle of the pitch because they, the publisher said that they didn't want to publish this person's game. So yeah, there's a lot of emotions that can get wrapped up in that. That's true. That's true. It's such a small circle. No, I was just going to say, depending on, you know, or even regardless of if you're trying to go with a smaller company or go to a mass market company, the board game community is so small that like, if you have a particularly bad pitch, whether it's because of the pitch itself or maybe the other people weren't giving you the kind of respectful but hope someone gives a human or vice versa or whatever the situation is, you, there's it will not stay in that bubble more than likely just because the, the field is so small. Um, and so it, it never hurts to if you're not sure about a publisher or a developer or a designer chances are someone in your circle has worked with them in some kind of capacity. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that happens a lot too, where if you don't know, you can ask someone that you know, and they might know, and then you can get some insights that way. Um, Because it's, it is, it seems big where you're going to some of these larger conventions, but like at the end of the day, it's not that big at all. No, it's Um, not. At all. No, I I consistently will ask if if I'm going to reach out to a company and I know who I'm going to reach out to, I will consistently, there are certain friends that I'll be like, I'll go to them and say, Hey, have you ever pitched to these people? Have you ever worked with these people? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've not set up pitches because of people have said, you know, I, I had a bad experience and I trust them enough to say if they had a bad experience, I don't want to be a part of that. You know? Right. Um, yeah. I've also had people say, Oh no, I don't like that publisher. And it's because they rejected their game. So, you know, <laughs> like yeah. and the publisher's yeah. fine. They just, you know, some <laughs> right. people don't take rejection as well. And, I, I think it depends, right? I've, I've not taken rejection. Well, I've also taken it. Well, I mean, it just depends right. on, it depends on how much you expect out of that meeting. I think is part of it. You really have to set your expectations. I think it Raven said that earlier. Um, mm-hmm. It's important to know what your expectations are in, in, in situations like that. Yeah. And, and you're dealing with humans, strangers, you know, mm-hmm. people you're, you're meeting these people for the first time and potentially, each of you staking part future income, you know, future you're, you're tying your futures together. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. almost like getting married in a way. Like it's a very, <laughs> right, right, right. it's a serious relation. There's a contract mm-hmm. involved. Yeah, right. Yeah. And there's a so, lot of money, right. That's, you know, I yeah. mean, well, well, the designer may not end up getting paid a lot of money, whether or not, like, it doesn't matter. Like the, the game is not cheap to make. Right. I mean, mm-hmm it's an expensive thing. So even for a small publisher to make games, it's not cheap. Yeah. 
Especially not today. It's definitely a not cheap today. Oh, gosh. <laughs> no. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. I think the, the moral of the story is there will be failure. You know, sometimes it's... That's going to sound tough. <laughs> it's going to sound hard, but it's true. Sometimes it's something that you did. Sometimes it is your game. You know, sometimes there are issues uh, so with your marketing materials. Some part of something you had control over didn't work out, and you can learn from that and improve it over time. Sometimes it has literally absolutely nothing at all to do with you. So you have a great game. Your presentation was flawless. It's just not a good fit for this person. Um that it can be a failure either way and that's okay. Yep. And and remember too that like you can be a super experienced game designer, you can have 50 games published. It doesn't mean that everyone's going to be a gem. Uh I, I remember this a friend of mine was was pitching to a company and they should not have done this and I will not mention the company nor the designer's name or anyone involved, but they they were looking at their game, they were thinking about signing and they said hey, you like games by this person? And they were like, oh, yeah. And they said, you want to see a really awful game by this person? <laughs> and they showed them this game this person had designed. I'm laughing because because it's so ridiculous. They should not have done that, right? I mean, to be fair, it was a game I think they had signed because of the person's name. And then we're like, oh, crap, this was a bad idea, um, which I know happens. I mean, Eric Lang was on the show when he talked about how companies would be like, man, I really want to do a game with you because I love your games. And he's like, Name a game of mine that you love. And they're like, oh, <laughs> um, um, and of course, Eric could totally get away with that, right? But like, you know, <laughs> I love that, you know, and uh, and so they had signed this game by this person, I think, based on who they were and then really played it, ha- having theoretically, I guess, bought it mostly sight unseen. And they were like, this is mm. awful. Like, what are we going to do with this game now? <laughs> um, and Oof. so I, yeah. I tell that story to remind people that even even really good designers who are really experienced don't always make a gem, right? I mean, so. Yeah, yeah. think of it like one of, if you design and publish multiple games, one of those games is going to be your worst game, right? <laughs> Inevitably. <laughs> it's it a weird movie. It's like, well, you think of them as children. Like, I love all my games equally. Uh, you know, I think of them like children, but there's probably within that you know and it might not be your first you might not just get straight better you know sometimes Mm -hmm. for what like the the deadline was tight or you'd sign the contract and it kind of went a different way or you had some disagreements with the publisher or whatever you know like not exactly like you said um hopefully they will all be something that you can be proud of uh but they're not all gonna be smash hit million dollar selling <laughs> or that was the other thing too they might not perform like you expected right, right, them to like right. you have per- expectations going into that whether for publicity for how recognized you're going to get for the number of sales um and that can be kind of a failure too when you expect things to go a certain way and they don't right. go that way well and i think what's interesting about that too when you mix all those things together when you talk about like what your best game is, right? Like what's the best game that I've designed that was published. It may not be your most commercially successful game. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's like, and that's it, it, be, just because, right. Because I mean, you know, you look at BGG ratings compared to like successive games advice, like it's so skewed based on people's opinions. Right. But like mm-hmm. your favorite game very well may not be your most successful game, you know? 
Um, your favorite game you design may be a game that never even gets published. And that's okay too, right? I mean, um, that's obviously a bummer, right? Because you do want that one to get published, but there's no guarantee that it will. So it's just, yeah, back to setting expectations. I guess, right. about that sort of stuff. <laughs> Very important. Um, and I do, I want to bring it back to, I mean, something said in the beginning was just so important. The, the like, I think we've said, I, I lost count of how many times we've said failure during this uh, podcast, but I feel like the more that we've talked about it now at this point, saying it does not produce the same. The first time you said that word, my heart just kind of dropped in my body because I think we're just conditioned as humans, our brains, society, failure is a bad thing. You do not want to fail. You don't want to be a failure. But talking about the different ways that you can fail in the process of building a game, the different benefits you might get, whether it's introspection about yourself as a person, introspection about your game fixes for your game or various other things or building relationships that you get from these failures, like it's become clearer and clearer and more important and more important that you put yourself in these situations where, yeah, sure, you might fail, but you also might get something great or you could fail and still get something great out of it too. It just depends on the situation, the context. So um, don't be afraid to fail. Essentially, you're going to do it at some point, some way, and you might get some good out of it, hopefully, or maybe not. But. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that took the words right out of my mouth. Like that is, if you take one lesson away from this, it's not even don't be afraid to fail because failure is scary. So don't be mm-hmm. afraid of fear. Don't let the fear of failure that's there natural and will come up stop you from doing the things anyways. Because that's the only case in which failure is a bad thing is if right. you internalize it to the point where you don't think you can ever succeed or you think that your work is trash or you don't trust yourself. Um, so I think uh, exactly talking about it and normalizing it, part of the inspiration for this is to make people more comfortable with it and see it more as a natural thing that happens mm-hmm. to literally all of us. Yep. Um, and something you can move through with grace. <laughs> yeah. I, so I do development coaching with people. And one of the things when, whenever I talk in talking or working with someone who's really worried about things failing or them failing personally, I remind them like before we chatted today, like you failed probably multiple times. And after we chat today, you're probably going to fail multiple times. And sometimes those failures are literally like imperceptible, right? It's little things but like the fact is like you can't not fail. Like you literally can't not fail. Even not trying is then failing because you're mm-hmm. not trying, right? So like you you have to destigmatize that 100% because like Raven said, you know, when you hear the word failure, like yeah, it does. It it, it can take the wind out of you, right? And that's not good because it's going to happen anyways. There's nothing you can do about it. And you're actually going to fail more times than you succeed. Like just statistically speaking, it's impossible not to, right? <laughs> Yeah, just today I failed to get a French fry in my mouth. I dropped it right <laughs> on the floor. I wanted to eat it, failed. I uh, broke my French press. I just smacked the glass oh, no. on the counter. Oh, no. And yeah, my goal was to wash the French press and I failed at that. I, I cracked it and now I have to get a new one. You know, just like those are just two things that happened within the last two hours, right? If you really kind of look at it 
I mean, I, you can get overwhelmed, I guess. Right. Like, my right. life is just full of failures, but there's lots of successes, too. I ate yes. most of the French yes. fries. 99% of the French fries <laughs> ended up in my mouth. Just the one that ended up on the floor. And hopefully you broke the coffee pot after you'd already had coffee for the day. Yes. That's yeah. good. Yes. <laughs> that makes that easier to handle than if it was before. Right. Yeah. That'd be traumatic if it was before you had more coffee. <laughs> This has been a super, super interesting discussion about failure, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad we got to talk about it and hopefully normalize it a bit and just, you know, uh, and, and make everybody understand that, that we're all going through these same feelings. You know, it's mm-hmm. great to hear other, other people say the things that I feel, and I'm sure it's the same for you all, and so I hope the listeners feel the same way. Um, so, Emma, we were going to have you tell us about a game you're working on to, uh, yeah, like pitch us a game, any, anything you've, you, you'd like. So, yeah. All right, yeah. Uh, so I have one. I'm going to talk about one that's upcoming. Uh, it's called Squabbling Goblins. It's being published by Button Shy. So it's a 18 card wallet game. It's one of the ones that they announced at the beginning of the year, which was last month. I forget what it was. <laughs> they made a picture of all the great games uh, that's coming out, and. Mine is Squabbling Goblins, really excited about it. It's actually a re-implementation of the very first game that I published, which was called Heart Catchers, which I made as a Valentine's Day present for my then boyfriend, now husband. Um, And it's really funny because I made that game before I knew anything about the industry, before I knew Buttonshy existed. Uh, I made it as a small box, two-player, 20-card game and found a publisher who was looking specifically for two-player games who actually knew Jason Tagmeyer. Uh, and at one point, Button Shy sold Heart Catchers through their booth, even though it's a 20-card oh. game. Uh, it wasn't a wallet game, you know, but right, right. Um, my publisher worked with them so that they could sell copies. I think it was at a PAX East. Um, so I got to hang out at their booth. And Jason actually said to me, he's like, <laughs> like oh man you know i wish that i had uh see- gotten a chance to see this game you know i would have been interested in publishing it so years later it came back around to to re-implement it into this game and yeah it's such a quintessentially me game it's all about secrets and deception it's like one of the things I want my games to do at some point is if one of the players has maniacal laughter from something they've done during the game. So if they're just like, because <laughs> you're tucking these cards underneath the piles and they're face down and they're secrets and you don't know where it is and the piles are moving around kind of like a shell game. Mm-hmm. So it just makes this feeling of just like duplicity, uh, but harmless duplicity, you know? <laughs> and so... Yeah, and the, the art that Jason's team is doing for it is gorgeous, adorable, uh, and I love <laughs> it so much. And it's going to be, they're going to be launching the the campaign for it uh, within the next couple of months. So I'm excited for people to get their hands on it. Fantastic. Uh, no more details than that yet, but. Uh, yeah. Okay. So- so the one design question I would love to ask you about that is, so it was a 20 yeah. card game and now it's an 18 card game. How hard was it? Was it, was it an easy game to just pull two cards out of? Cause, cause I deal with card counts on some of the smaller stuff I'm working on it. It can be a nightmare or it can be easy. So I'm curious, was that easy or no? Uh, it, 
I wouldn't say it's, it was exactly easy, but it came together in a pretty fluid way. Mm-hmm. So we'll say it was, it was an absolute pleasure to come back to a game that I had worked on four years ago at that point. And I had done things where you put cards in face-up stacks and there was this whole, I used weird terminology and I'd use numbers for which ones you could place. Um, shoot, it wasn't numbers at that point, it was color. So it was like, you can place the red one on the blue one and the blue one on the green one and kind of this circular nature. And I was just like, wait, I can just cut most of this and you can just do it like this. And then it really fell into place from there. Um, and the, the math which worked out for it was able to say like, oh, okay, if awesome. I just move some things around in a particular way. Um, yeah. Going through it again and redoing all the powers and all the abilities and balancing things out definitely took a while for all that to come together. Um, but yeah, I was, <laughs> I was lucky. Cause I, I, I think I said to Jason, maybe even before pitching, I was like, Oh yeah, I want to make this for you. Maybe even being uncertain that I would be able to fit it into the 18 <laughs> card thing, but it, it all came together and it was great. That's awesome. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I was just curious about that piece. So, mm. Well, fantastic. Yeah. Squabble and Goblins. It's a great name too. Mm. It's a great name. And it does sound fun. It doesn't sound like super mean because it's squabbling. It's not like it's like murdering goblins or something, right? I mean, it's squabbling goblins. Backstabbing goblins or, you know, they just have a little. goblins. Gouging goblins. (laughs) Gouging goblins. That's a good one. Wow. So, um, well, hey. Thanks uh, for coming on and hanging out with us tonight, Raven and I mean Emma, and hanging out with Raven and I. Also, you thank go. you, Raven, for hanging out. Happy to be here. This was this was a lot of fun to talk about, and it was great to to meet you finally and to actually uh, chat with you about all of this. And uh, so, yeah, I appreciate you being here with us tonight. Yeah, same. Thank you so much for letting me chat, especially about a subject that can be a little intense, you know, a little emotional, but I think together we have had a great discussion yeah i think so too yeah appreciate it Mm -hmm. um so uh if you'd like to get in touch uh with the show listeners you can of course uh go to our website buildingthegamepodcast.com you can there you can find our discord channel please check that out come to our weekly meetups they're lots of fun and very helpful uh you can also um find us at buildingthegamepodcast at gmail.com email us there call us at 770 tell btg Find us on the Twitter at PodcastBTG. I am at J.A. Slingerland. Raven is at underscore Raven McKenzie. And Emma is at Emma Larkins. And you can find us all there. And uh, thanks again for hanging out with us tonight. And until next time, good night. Good night. Good night. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Dial 770 Hotel BTG. Please don't use the email. <laughs>